Chapter 19 of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 The Truth About Miss Burt. Confidential relations thus being established between the two men, Fessenden wished very much to learn a little more concerning Dorothy Burt, but found it a difficult subject to introduce. It was, therefore, greatly to his satisfaction when Carlton himself led up to it. "'I've been frank with you, Rob,' he said, "'but perhaps there's one more thing I ought to confess.' "'Nonsense, man. I'm not your father, confessor. If you've any facts, hand them over, but don't feel that you must justify yourself to me.' "'But I do want to tell you this.' for it will help you to understand my sensitiveness to the whole matter. As you know, Rob, I do love Dorothy Burt, and it is only since Madeline's death that I have allowed myself to realize how much I love her. I shall never ask her to marry me, for the stigma of this dreadful affair will always remain attached to my name, and suspicion would more than ever turn to me if I showed my regard for Dorothy. As I told you, I never spoke a word of love to her while Madeline was alive. But she knew. She couldn't help knowing. Brave little girl that she is, she never evinced that knowledge, and it was only when I surprised a sudden look in her eyes that I suspected she too cared for me. And yet, though we never admitted it to each other, Madeline suspected the truth and even taxed me with it. Of course I denied it. Of course I vowed to Madeline that she, and she only, was the woman I loved, because I thought it the right and honorable thing to do. If she hadn't cared so much for me herself, I might have asked her to release me, but I never did, and never even thought of doing so, until that last evening. Then, well, you know how she had favored Willard in preference to me in the afternoon, and, though I well knew it was only to tease me, yet it did tease me, and I came home really angry at her. It was an ill-advised occasion for her to favor her cousin. I agree with you, but from the little I know of Miss Van Norman's nature, I judge she was easily piqued and quick to retaliate. Yes, she was. We were both too quick to take offense. But, of course, the real reason for that was the lack of true faith between us. Well, then I came home, angered, as I said, and Dorothy was so, so different from Madeline, so altogether sweet and dear so free from petty bickering or sarcasm, that for the first time I felt as if I ought not to marry the woman I did not love. I brooded over this thought all through the dinner hour and the early evening. Then you and mother left us, and I asked Dorothy to go for a little stroll in the garden. She refused at first. I think the child was a little fearful of what I might say but I said nothing of the tumult in my heart. I realized, though, that she knew I loved her, and that she cared for me. 
I had thought she did, but never before had I felt so sure of it, and the knowledge completely unmanned me. I bade her good night abruptly, and rather coldly, and then I went into the library and fought it out with myself, and I concluded that my duty was to Madeline. I confessed to a frantic desire to go to her and ask her, even at that last minute, to free me from my troth, and then I thought what a scandal it would create, and I knew that even if Dorothy and I both suffered, it was Madeline's right to leave matters as they were. Having decided, I proceeded to carry out my earlier intention of going over to the Van Norman house with the reliquary. It was so late then that I had no thought of seeing Madeline, but, and this, Rob, is my confession, on the way there I still had a lingering thought that if I should see Madeline I would tell her the truth and leave it to her generosity to set me free. And it was this guilty knowledge, this shameful weakness on my part, that added to my dismay and horror at finding her as she was in the library i read that awful paper i thought of course then she had taken her own life and i feared it was because she knew of my falseness and treachery this made me feel as if i were really her murderer quite as much as if i had struck the actual blow don't take it like that schuyler that's morbid imagination you acted loyally to Miss Van Norman to the last, and though the whole situation was most unfortunate, you were not really to blame. No man can rule his own heart, and, anyway, it is not for me to comment on that side of the matter. But since you have spoken thus frankly of Miss Burt, I must ask you how, with your slight acquaintance, you are so sure she is worthy of your regard." Our acquaintance isn't so slight, Rob. She has been some time with Mother, more than six months, and we have been good friends from the first. And I know her perhaps by love's intuition, but I know her very soul, and she is the truest, sweetest nature God ever made. But forgive me, she has impressed me as being not quite so frank and ingenuous as she appears. That's only because you don't know her, and you judge by your own uncertain and mistaken impressions. But when she gave her evidence at the inquest, she seemed to hesitate and to waver as to what she should say. It did not have the right ring of truth, though her manner was charming and even naive. You misjudge her, Rob. I say this because I know it. And I can't blame you, for, knowing of my engagement to Madeline, you are quite right to disapprove of my interest in another woman. It isn't disapproval, exactly. Well, it isn't suspicion, is it? You don't think that Dorothy had any hand in the tragedy, do you? Carlton spoke savagely, with an abrupt change from his former manner, and as he heard his friend's words, Rob knew that he himself had no more suspicion of Dorothy Burt than he had of Carlton. She had testified in a constrained, uncertain manner, 
but that was not enough to rouse suspicion of her in any way. "'Of course not,' Fessenden declared heartily. "'Don't be absurd. But have I your permission to put a few questions to Miss Burt, not in your presence?' "'Of course you have. I trust you to be kind and gentle with her, for she is a sensitive little thing. But I know whatever you may say to her, or she to you, will only make you see more clearly what a dear girl she is. Fessenden was far from sure of this, but having gained Carlton's permission to interview Miss Burt, he said no more about her just then. For a long time the two men discussed the situation, but the more they talked, the less they seemed able to find any plausible theory of the crime. At last Fessenden said, there is one thing certain. If we are to believe Harris's statement about the locks and bolts, no one could have entered from the outside. No, said Carlton, and so we're forced to turn our attention to someone inside the house. But each one in turn seems so utterly impossible. We cannot even suggest Mrs. Markham or Miss Morton. I don't altogether like that Miss Morton. She acted queerly from the beginning. Not exactly queerly. She is not a woman of good breeding or good taste. But she only arrived that afternoon, and it's too absurd to picture her stabbing her hostess that night. I don't care how absurd it is. She profited by Miss Van Norman's death and she was certainly avid to come into her inheritance at once. "'Yes, I know,' said Schuyler, almost impatiently. "'But I saw Miss Morton when she first came downstairs, and though she was shocked, she really did nobly in controlling herself, and even in directing others what to do. You see, I was there, and I saw them all.' and I'm sure that Miss Morton had no more to do with that dreadful deed than I had. Then what about her burning that will as soon as Miss Van Norman was dead? I don't believe it was a will, and in fact I'm not sure she burned anything. Oh, yes, she did. I heard that French maid story when she first told it, and it was impossible to believe that she was making it up. Besides, Miss French saw Miss Morton rummaging in the desk. She is erratic, I think, and perhaps not over-refined. But I'm sure she never could have been the one to do that thing. Why, that woman is frightened at everything. She wouldn't dare commit a crime. She is fearfully timid. Dismissing Miss Morton, then, let us take the others, one by one. I think we may pass over Miss French and Miss Gardner. We have no reason to think of Mr. Hunt in this connection, and this brings us down to the servants. Not quite to the servants, said Carlton, with a peculiar look in his eyes that caught Rob's attention. Not quite to the servants? What do you mean? Carlton said nothing, but with a troubled gaze, he looked intently at Fessenden. "'Sicily!' exclaimed Rob. "'You think that?' "'I think nothing,' 
said Carlton slowly. And as an innocent man who was suspected, I hate to hint a suspicion of anyone who may be equally innocent. But does it not seem to you there are some questions to be answered concerning Miss Dupuy? Fessenden sat thinking for a long time. Surely these two men were just and even generous, and unwilling to suspect without cause. There are points to be explained, said Rob slowly, and, Schuyler, since we are talking frankly, I must ask you this. Do you know that Miss Dupuy is very much in love with you? How absurd! That cannot be. Why, I've scarcely ever spoken to the girl. That doesn't matter. The fact remains. Now, you know she wrote that paper which stated that she loved S., but he did not love her. That initial designated yourself, and because of this unfortunate attachment, Cicely was, of course, jealous, or rather envious, of Madeline. I have had an interview with Miss Dupuy, in which she gave me much more information about herself than she thought she did. And one of the facts I discovered, from what she didn't say rather than what she did, was her hopeless infatuation for you. It's difficult to believe this, but now that you tell me it is true, I can look back to some episodes which seem to indicate it. But I cannot think it would lead to such desperate results. There's one thing certain. When we do find the criminal, it will have to be somebody we never would have dreamed of, for if there were any probable person we would suspect him already. Now, merely for the sake of argument, let us see if Cicely did not have exclusive opportunity as well as yourself. Remember, she was the last one who saw Miss Van Norman alive. I mean, so far as we have had any witness or evidence. This fact in itself is always a matter for investigation. And granting the fact of two women, both in love with you, one about to marry you, and the other perhaps insanely jealous, a weapon at hand, no one else astir in the house, is there not at least occasion for inquiry? Carlton looked aghast. He took up the story, and in a low voice said, I can add to that. When I came in, as Hunt has testified, Cicely was leaning over the banister, still fully dressed. When I cried out for help fifteen minutes later, Cicely was the first to run downstairs. She asked no questions. She did not look toward the library. She glared straight at me with an indescribable expression of fear and horror. I cannot explain her attitude at that moment, but if this dreadful thing we have dared to think of could be true, it would perhaps be a reason. And then, you know, she tried to get possession secretly of that slip of paper after it had served its purpose. Yes, and also after you, by clever observation, had discovered that she wrote it and not Madeline. Their writing is strangely alike. Yes, even I was deceived, 
and I have seen much of Madeline's writing. Fessenden, this is an awful thing to hint, but do you suppose some of the notes I have had purporting to be from Miss Van Norman could have been written by Miss Dupuy? Why not? Several people have said the secretary often wrote notes purporting to be from the mistress. Oh, yes, formal society notes. But I don't mean that. I mean, do you suppose Cicely could have written of her own accord, even unknown to Madeline, as if, as if, you know, it were Madeline herself writing? Oh, on purpose to deceive you? Yes, on purpose to deceive me. It could easily be done. I've seen so much of both their penmanship, and I never noticed it especially. I've always taken it for granted that a purely personal note was written by Madeline herself. But now I wonder. Do you mean notes of importance? I mean notes that annoyed me. Notes that voluntarily referred to her going driving or walking with Willard when there was no real reason for her referring to it. Could it be that Cicely... Bah! I cannot say it of any woman. I see your point, and it is more than possible that Miss Dupuy, knowing of the strained relations between you and Miss Van Norman, might have done anything she could to widen the breach. It would be easy, as she wrote so much of the correspondence, to do this unnoticed. Yes, that's what I mean. Often Madeline's notes would contain a gratuitous bit of information about her and Willard, and though she frequently teased me when we were together, I was surprised at her writing these things. I feel sure now that sometimes, at least, they were the work of Miss Dupuy. I can't describe it exactly, but that would explain lots of things otherwise mysterious. This is getting beyond us, said Rob with a quick sigh. I think it my duty to report this to the coroner and to Detective Fairbanks, who is officially on the case. I thought I liked detective work, but I don't. It leads one toward two dreadful conclusions. Will you go with me, Carlton? I shall go at once to Mr. Benson. No, I think it would be better for you to go alone. Remember, I am practically an accused man, and my word would be of little weight. Moreover, you are a lawyer, and it is your right and duty to make these things known. But unless forced to do so, I do not wish to testify against Miss Dupuy. Remembering the girl's attitude toward Carleton, Rob could not wonder at this, and he went off alone to the coroner's. End of chapter 19